There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, my talkers, as we get closer and closer to winter, I kid, I kid, we are hanging out with Lori and Julia. It's very fall-like out today. We're going to have some fun, though, for the next three hours. What's in store for us today, Lori and Julia? Well, well... Other than the world feels like it's on fire again. There's yeah. so much sad uh, sadness happening. I have to ask Julia if she was gave in to the temptation and did she start reading Britney oh. Spears' riveting memoir, The Woman and Me. Okay, so here is the deal. She told me, oh, I'm not looking at this till this weekend. I go, uh, yeah. That's because I we have, 17, have 17 other books that I have to yeah. read. And I'm like, I got to focus on those. All right. I am appalled at how she was treated and the big thing for me was with the children so she meets Cletus aka Kevin Federline and he's a backup dancer and they fall in love she doesn't ask a lot of questions she's very naive we already know this she writes um, that, she says that. and mm-hmm. doesn't know that um, until like a week or two later that he's got a baby on the way mm-hmm. and it has a one-year-old she's like wait you have kids you know kind of thing so he's not real with forthcoming with his life, is what we learned. Yeah. And then about how their relationship went and how he basically, the minute they got married, uh, you know, wanted to be a hip-hop star. Wanted to and ride that back of fame. Yeah, he did. And um, literally, they have a baby, you know, she's pregnant right away, and he would be in the studio all the time. And then he wouldn't let her in the studio, and he ignored her. Then she's pregnant when her baby's three months old she gets pregnant again mm-hmm. and then he goes to new york to be in a studio and cut this album that he's going to be this big hip-hop star and she flies out there to see him just to surprise him because she's like mm-hmm. we need to connect there's you're always working on your album mm-hmm. and uh his the security guards don't let her in to see him he's he's vile and then he systematically worked with her family to take away her children yeah, he her doesn't kids, come off any better than Justin Timberlake no, 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 no. or her father. He, no. which he are, comes off way worse, Laurie. This no, is children. Right, but but not really when you read the whole book. You mm. know, when you read everything, because it's such a riveting story. Because, and in a weird way, the book has an elegance to it because it's so simply... Written. I've and never seen so double much, space and, and double never, space and never was and so with so much humility. Yeah, she does her. admit her her naivete, but I whose family ever does it? And the fact that oh, they could do it in broad, the in broad daylight. Oh, the family is the devil. I, I am, mean, I am so they took her kids away. Her baby was three months old. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Kevin didn't even hang out with the kids or the family, and now he has them because he wants the paycheck for the child support, the alimony, the everything else. Yeah, he's a mean man. Yeah, I yeah. am disgusted in mm-hmm. how that could happen in broad daylight. Listen, everything that happened to her happened to her in broad daylight in Just front bizarre. of everybody. I mean, her father, the way everything... Wait, just keep reading. When do you see what happens? You know, her story about when... After she was done at Planet Hollywood, you know, her father wants her to go out on tour. Again. Again, you know, mm-hmm. she and she writes in the book, you know, it's amazing for someone who is under conservatorship, I could do all this stuff. I was trusted to go perform, you know, and do all these things. But still, every single minute of my life was controlled. But um, he signed her up for a a residency at the new theater at the Park MGM. We saw a concert there. Yes. And she, it's the big press event. They play Toxic. She's signing autographs. And she just walks right to her car. And she doesn't stop. And the next day, her dad announces Britney's in rehab. Wow. And that was her punishment. For refusing to do the show, walking away, look what you've done, you know, da da da. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's flabber. It's a flabbergasting read and it'll absolutely infuriate you at what happens to her. I feel like her attorney should do just the dad forms a company to get all of her money. He becomes a multimillionaire. Brittany writes that. But to, to, Steal his daughter's money. I hope. I hope oh. something is happening legally with TriStar Entertainment and Lou Taylor, and her father. And I mean, her mom and her sister are. You know, they're going to have to face. You know, their reckoning at some point. But I, she'll never forgive her father, nor should she. And even her mom. Her mom betrayed her. Uh, just as bad by being the little woman and looking off to the side as Jamie was doing all these things. And Jamie, uh, Jamie's sister at one point, you know, don't fight the conservatorship. This is what's best for everybody. Imagine your little sister who's written your quote tales on everything. She hasn't spoken to her children in two years and and Kevin Federline goes and makes money. And has the boys be on record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On TV to talk That's against their mom. That's why he's Oh, I'm just, I'm so disgusted in him. Yeah, well, we'll keep reading. There's more people to get disgusted at <sighs> in 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 that in that in her storytelling. And I think, you know, because t- the way the way she tells her story is is very powerful because she can speak about herself in a long form and uninterrupted way and in her voice. And so it rings very, very true to you. And she tells her story with good humor too. And it is very simple, but yet this elegant way of storytelling. I'm sure that's how, I mean, there's never the sense like she's overshooting and she doesn't get involved in all a lot of dialogue that she had with herself. I mean, the the direction that she took in telling the story in the way she would tell it to a friend was absolutely right because it's incredibly powerful, you know. I just I I'm just stunned. I'm stunned. I'm I stunned, know. Lorraine. I I hated uh, that I had to. I just don't want to even. 
know how horrible people were to her. It's kind of painful. It's very painful. It's I told you, break break your heart. And I mean, like when she writes this, um, she wrote she wrote about fame. I never knew how to play the game. I didn't know how to present myself on any level. I was a bad dresser. Hell, I'm still a bad dresser, and I'll admit that. And I work on that. I try. But of the early odds, I was truly innocent, just clueless. I was a newly single mom of two little boys. I didn't have time to fix my hair before I went out and to see photographers. So I was young, and I made a lot of mistakes. But I will say this. I wasn't manipulative. I was just stupid. That's one thing Justin and Kevin ruined about me. I used to trust people. But after the breakup with Justin and then my divorce, I never really did trust people again. Mm -mm. So those, yeah. Anyway. Wow. Yes. For someone who's largely been viewed as like a mess and having her family, all these people, she's really delivered something amazing. And it turns out she is good at this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jada Pinkett Smith's memoir, it's off even the top 100 now. No one's bought that book. Because she keeps changing her mind. No, she lies. She well, okay. There you go. She's lied for us <laughs> yeah. for years, and yeah. the book is about lying. Yeah, she's telling her truth because she's worthy now. Yeah, to tell us everything she's told us for six years was a lie. <sighs> yeah. Pretty bad. Yeah, that makes people not want to read your book. Mm, I love Brittany. Yeah, I know. I just feel for her though. Mm-hmm. Wow. All, All right. right, listen. We come back. It's her story. We can't get enough of. Lori and Julia here with Ann Tressler of Tressler Law. We have a question from one of our listeners. She was told she needs to split everything 50-50. Is this true? It's not that black and white. Our law says that there will be a fair and equitable distribution of the marital estate. Your marital estate talks about what you own and what you owe. Most cases, equitable usually means equal, but there can be facts in certain circumstances under which one party's awarded more assets or one party's awarded more debts. It's really a case-by-case basis, and that's why you really need to come in and talk to an attorney about what your particular case entails. So what does that mean for her house and her 401k? Again, it's really a case-by-case basis. And remember, dividing things equally, even if you're doing that, doesn't mean you're necessarily splitting every single asset. So there's lots of different ways to do it, depending on what people want, what their goals are, and how you can reach resolution. That's really good information. I bet a lot of other listeners want to know this. For your free one-hour divorce consultation, go to TrustlerLaw.com or use my talk keyword divorce. All right, it was a busy night on uh, the late night couches last night. Uh, let's start with Jimmy Kimmel because uh, he had, we knew Meg Ryan was on, yep. but she walks out with David Duchovny, mm-hmm. her co star, and the only other co star in the Mulder and Sally rom com called What <laughs> Happened Later, which will Mulder be in theaters a week from Friday. And Gia uh, was good to. See Meg Ryan on a couch. She'd never met Jimmy Kimmel. No, so I she know. really has been. She really did drop out of all acting for eight years. And then Duchovny had a pumpkin suit on with a like a cabernet colored shirt. I, I love she, him. Yeah. Oh, I, know. I love him. I know, but I felt his younger girlfriend dressed him. Oh, he looked like he looked he, ridiculous. He did look ridiculous. It wasn't something that I felt that he would have picked. And then he had on white, white, white sneaks. Yeah, he did. I was just like, that is a younger woman dressing whole older man, trying to make him look younger unsuccessfully. But <laughs> they, he gives good couch. McRyan gives good couch. And they basically just talked about the movie and the fact that, uh, Meg Ryan um, directed it and co-wrote mm-hmm. it. And it's about 
a couple of, they used to be in love way long ago, and they're stranded at a little airport yes. with a storm, and yes. it's just the two of them. It kind of looks cute. It, it looks totally cute. Um, I'm trying to think of see it. this. What's the name of the movie It's again? called What Happens Later. It really looks cute. And they look like they had cute chemistry, too. Yes. And I was obsessed with Maura. I wanted her to tell stories because she was des- dear friends with Carrie Fisher because they met on when Harry met Sally. Yes. And I wanted to know those stories. Right. And so she, she had sh- to share so much of the time, you know, like with him. Uh, with I just want to know her. She knows, you know, she was in the glory days. Of yes. Carrie Fisher. Yes, of course. And and that movie, she made the movie under the new terms of SAG-AFTRA. Yes, that's So they, they have can- a waiver to. Yes. To promote it. And in 2015, she directed her first movie, Ithaca, which she also started in. And then she took an eight-year break, um, and she covers People magazine. And she said, I just thought of it as a job and not a lifestyle, and I just wanted to do other things. And she, was, she didn't say the other thing was trying to tame John Mellencamp. Right, and try to get him. Into being a good, yes. great boyfriend. Didn't she happen. Gave up on that. Yep. Because he's with someone else. But she felt like for this movie, she kept Nora Ephron in mind because, of course, Nora directed her in many of her classic rom-coms. And she told people, the movies I did with Nora had a thing about kismet, like destiny and fate. And there's something comforting mm-hmm. about Sleepless that. Sleepless in Seattle, yes, you've got yes. mail. I'm excited to see this. And she wrote it. I... It just seems calm. It yes. seems like a calm, mm-hmm. good, and if it's a Nora Ephron, Nora know, Ephron-like yeah. stamp, you know it's going to be happy. Ending. I just remember, because I, I don't know, um, of course we weren't on the air Dennis in Quaid. 2000, Proof of Life, when she oh, did yeah. the movie with Russell, Russell Crowe. We knew it was the kiss. You and I talked about this, because we're like, what is she doing and then but she, it was in 2000, so we weren't on the no, air No, I know, yet. but you and I were still friends at friends. that time. Oh, and yeah, we yeah, worked yeah. together. I mean, we talked about this, and we're like, what is she doing? Because she let it be known that she was, was she having an affair? Was she yes, still, it was like life-imitating yeah. art. And she was still married to Dennis Quaid at the time. And they broke up, and he filed for custody, and she was vilified in the press. Vilified. She was treated like the scarlet yeah. woman. She got all kinds of ageist and sexism backlash. It was... Many people, media, entertainment outlets compared Meg Ryan and Russell Crowe's affair to that of Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton on Cleopatra and Allie McGraw and Steve McQueen yeah. on Bullet mm-hmm. and that she was a homewrecker. And this is like outlets like Entertainment yep, Weekly I know. and People. And she was portrayed geez. so horribly. And the thing about it was Dennis Quaid was a coke-loving yeah. man whore <laughs> married yes. man to her while she was married to him. He has changed his ways, obviously, yes. since. But yes. he- I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. She was, I mean, she was, 
The best movie I remember, Interstellar, is where Dennis Quaid and mm-hmm. when Harry, Sal, what's her name, Meg Ryan met. It was such a fun movie. I loved it. It's called Interscope, actually. Oh, Interscope. Yeah, okay. that movie when he like shrinks down and yep. goes in Martin Short's in that movie. Yeah, fantastic great movie. movie. Yes. Yeah, she was Lori. Think of how the media has treated women. I know it. And then we keep hearing the stories about how Hollywood. Inside Hollywood treated women. Yeah, yeah. Such abuse. It's on such both, abuse. On the casting couch and from the outside, it really, she was vilified. Vilified. I remember they filmed that. Did it, was it in Costa Rica or somewhere? I know, it was somewhere? like, I don't know if it was, it was supposed to be in South America. I don't know what island. I hated it the movie at. more than anything. It was not a good Mm-mm. movie, but it <laughs> helped the movie because those two were under contract to publicize it. They took great pains to do separate media for that yes. but it helped interest in the movie but it it you know she talked about it years later about the impact it had on her career um and uh you know but the the studio was like happy because the movie did well and it just dominated but she was in she'd never had anything written badly Bad about, about her, her she and, was the girl next door yeah. It was really, that was something. And then I swear to God, they broke up like right away. They did. Even after, before the pressure, the, movie, the, the pressure of it all. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, you know, I mean, she like put, you, she was an early adapter of collagen in her lips or something. Yeah. And she did change how she looked dramatically. Yeah, she did. She did. And so that was another thing. We all talked about it. I know we talked right. about it. What'd she do to her face? You mm-hmm. know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It was. But she was vilified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Horrible. Yeah. Well, her. and, you know, we didn't know until years. It's always like Dennis Quaid, the hero, you know, the football star, you know, the this, the that. And no, that never came out about, like, what a dog he was mm-hmm. and how lonely she probably was in that marriage. Ten years they were married. Yeah. Wow. And he filed for full custody for Jack, and did so did she. she. Uh, didn't they share it they did end up but they when they filed for a divorce uh then she filed oh they saw uh joint custody but um the tabloids were just all over the story because it was just it was, everyone thought that dennis quain mcgryan were the new tom hanks and you know like they were yeah. very much oh they're gonna be for, together forever yeah. And she was America's sweetheart because she did oh, all the run of movies. And over on uh, Fallon's couch with uh, Candace Diaz, and she played a fun game with Cameron them. But Cameron Diaz? Cameron Diaz, <laughs> not <laughs> Candace. Um, but Cameron had David Burns' uh, suit jacket on from 1989. Talking she, heads. It was the biggest, the shoulders. I was just like, it was so bad. And then, <laughs> of course, she wants to. What's she on for? Her wine. Yes. Okay, well, I heard someone else talking about her wine on, like, <sighs> a different show. Like, yeah. and they say it's good. I don't care what they say. I'm never going, I'm not going out of my Sorry. way to buy Cameron's Eveline wine. I mean, <laughs> she really clean. never had anything. I mean, Eveline. it was just like she talked about going to Sorry. Taylor Swift and seeing her husband in Vegas and Good Charlotte. It was Snoozeville. It's organic, by the way. Oh, it is. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Try and get through twenty bucks more. a bottle. Yeah, total wine. Oh no! Don't no. waste your money. Oh God, Lori! Holy, <laughs> holy! I'm, I'm gonna dig her. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, we are gonna take a break. Hey everybody, Lori and Julia here for Hammernick's Flooring Solutions, family-owned business. They've been in business since 1946, and they are committed to making sure 
that people are happy. It's not like you're putting in flooring or carpeting, you know, on the regular basis. So they know that, you know, getting people to refer them, you, they ha- having a great experience, that's what they're in the business of making sure that they get repeat customers. They're known for their good pricing, the quality, the inventory that they have. If you just need to do a quick kind of floor remodel on a commercial space or maybe a, a home that you have, they've got um, tons and tons of uh, good vinyl uh, flooring as well as um, carpeting that you can just put in for just refreshing, giving a space a facelift. That's Hammernix with four locations. You can also check them out online, hammernix.com. Welcome back. We are absolutely delighted to have our former colleague and high school friend, (laughs) T.D. Mishke, Tommy Mishke is with us. And um, you have a new beautiful book out, Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North. And um, it's just always so good to see you. I I tell you, being here on radio, mm -hmm. it's like I just arrived at home home from college and I'm in my living room. <laughs> That's what it feels like yeah, being back nice. in radio. It's just, is there a couch I can relax well, on? Yeah, Pillow just, I can have? I've got a little thing yeah, over there for perfect. you. Um, okay. So we last saw you, I think with um, the UFO thing. UFO thing, which has nothing to do with this. I know it this. doesn't. So yeah. now let's go to I move snow. around a I know bit. you do. Yeah. Tell us, this is your, is this your first? First book ever. It's beautiful. Tell everybody you're about a winter damn song. poet, Tommy mm-hmm. Mishke. Thank you. You made me fall mm-hmm. in love with winter again. Reading this book, that is my hope. That is that is my goal with this book. My purpose in writing it was this season has never gotten its due, and I mean in literature. I researched ahead of time. You did. I said if there's already a book on this, forget it. I'll mm-hmm. do something else. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there wasn't. What you find when you look out there in the pantheon of books on winter is survival stories. Well, we don't do that. We don't get up every day in Minnesota and figure out how to get a meal and, boy, that maggot looks good. Let's eat that. (laughs) We're just living. Winter Mm -hmm. is part of life. And I don't think it's been given its due as far as a wondrous, astoundingly mysterious, beautiful, challenging season in our year. And if it isn't that for you, if it's drudgery, mm-hmm. it is the dominant season in Minnesota. My guess is five solid months, mid November to mid yep. mid April. If you hate winter, get out of here or suffer needlessly in a life that is terribly short. And when it's over, you're going to realize <laughs> why on earth. Did I call this home? I, on the other hand, would die in Alabama or Georgia or Florida or any place like that. I'd go crazy in the heat. That's not my nemesis. But you got to live where your soul finds a partner. And for me, it's here. And this book is written to get people to partner with winter. I mean, it's you did that for me. As I'm reading your book, I'm thinking... And Julia is always a big I love proponent winter. of winter. I love she it. loves winter and she will always like, winter is here. Yes, the snow and this and that. But I have found myself being rather ambivalent about it. And so reading reading your book and you're, you're a damn poet and I like how your mind thinks. Um, I really do. Made me just like look at like the coming up 
November, our neglected yeah. month. Our month neglected that, month. Yeah. And I loved how you said that we put in all the fun of Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's and then boom, January. I, I So I it made me feel like uh, happier, like, oh, there is a good reason why I live here because I actually do like it. Yeah, and what you're, what, you're, what you're talking about there, for those who don't know, is this idea that we bunched together, somebody bunched this together, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's at the very beginning of the year to allow us all to go into this season happy. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, a wondrous time. Everybody loves it. Holiday season, glorious. Uh, New Year's, how can you not love this fresh start? Mm-hmm. And then January 2nd arrives which I refer to in the book as the long 90, Mm -hmm. which is the number of days it'll take before we arrive at a beautiful day in April. Mm -hmm. But the long 90 is what you have to make peace with, and there is a way to do it, and many not only make peace with it, I do a whole chapter on people who can't handle it when winter ends. Yeah, That is their season. But even if it's not that, like for me, I like all of them, Mm -hmm. but I also love winter, and I, I... am astounded by all the changes it creates in me. When winter comes, I become slightly different. I become more introspective. I take on, you know, people talk about light summer reading. Why do they say light summer reading? This is a good beach book. It's light summer reading. <laughs> Why? In the sun, don't we want anything heavy? No, no, no. no, no. Heavy's for winter. That's funny. Well, That's in funny. winter, it is true that you you think more about life. Spiritually, no matter where you come from in that department, winter is a time of, it's a season of the metaphor of death. And you mm-hmm. think about your life and you think about existence and this cycle. And there are a lot of people who make use of that. People sometimes think, oh, your book's about getting out there and, and cross-country mm-hmm. skiing mm-hmm. and snowmobiling. No, many people I talk to, what they love about winter is the way it slows down time. And they like lighting candles at breakfast because it's still dark. And they like sitting with a glass of wine in a bar and looking out the window at the snow falling. And they love this sense of, God, this is is a feeling I only get this time of year. Mm -hmm. Not in spring, not in summer, not in Mm -hmm. fall. There's no pressure. No pressure. There's no pressure to be outside and be athletic. There's no pressure to do this. You don't have to go anywhere. You can just be. Yeah, and there are people who talk to me about the sun going down early and said... Isn't it wonderful that winter gives you permission for the day to end early and you say, oh, the day's done. It's 5.30. Pour me a glass of wine, <laughs> honey. It's over. In summertime, in 9.30, there's still stuff to get done. Right, yeah. right. So there it's, are all these gifts to the season. Mm-hmm. And I think this would be such a lovely gift to give in yourself and someone you love because Lori, Lori hates, you know, you are not a fan. Well, it's I am not, I, you can't say that I hate winter. I hate the pressure to do winter activities outside. Because for me, winter has always been about cozying up and reading the 800-page book that I haven't gotten around to next to a fireplace, looking out the window at the snow, happy that I'm not out in it. Most of the people I talk to who love winter, they, they're they not winter enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. What they love about it is is the fire in the fireplace, mm-hmm. reading a book, slowing down time, looking out the window. The idea that there isn't this tension of, boy, I, I should be having as much fun as the bikers, joggers, and whatever are at <laughs> yeah. eight, eight in the evening. So there, there is that. And, of course, there's that wonderful Danish concept of Hugo, which I hope yes. you know. Yes. And which is, there's a chapter on the book in that, which is that idea of creating this interior world. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no July day where I walk into my house and stop and say, 
God, this place is beautiful. doesn't matter if it's beautiful. That's not what I say then. But on a January day, when you come into that door and there's candles burning and there's a fire and there's music playing and there's some friends sitting around or there's somebody from the neighborhood over and they're playing a board game, there's this sort of sense of, ah, this. That's an interior experience born out of winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I, I would like, I always think, you know, I would not like living somewhere where the weather is pretty much the same year round. I, I think people, like, I think there's something about seasons that are good for people's mind, soul, body, whatever you want to yeah. call it. The sameness of weather would make me batty, I think. I followed <laughs> your trip on Facebook to France mm-hmm. and suffered with yes, you. Yes, the heat. And all I could oh. think of was how tortured I would be in that heat. I'm I can't telling think. You. Yes. I can't. I don't have energy in yes. the heat. I hate life. Yes. So I told Casey when it was so hot, we are only going to cafes and parks. Yeah. That's all we're doing. We can't do anything else. This is insufferable. And he's like, okay. Well, in Austin, <laughs> Texas, this last year, hottest on record. Yeah. Some absurd thing like 90 days of over 100 mm-hmm. degrees. Mm-hmm. They tried to create the Danish concept of of Huga oh. in the summer. Oh, no. Oh, no. It doesn't work. It doesn't you know. can't create that by huddling around an air conditioner and, <laughs> and looking out at the beautiful green leaves and going, God, it's great. Pour me another hot toddy or a cold whatever. Right. You know, they, it, it is it is only a, an experience born out of the cold. And I think winter offers so many little gifts like that. And I, and I think what people have to do is realize it's a third of your life. What are you going to do with this season if you're not going to move? Mm-hmm. If you're going to live here, it's going to dominate the calendar. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. How are you going to make this season work for you? Find it or suffer with those fools who let it slip away and at the end of their life go, well, it was fun in the spring, fall, and summer. <laughs> right. Do you have a, do you, so the book is Winter Song, A Hymn to the North by T.D. Mishke. It's beautiful. It's, it really is. And Tommy's from St. Paul. And I told Lori the other day that your dad is the Highland Villager. She didn't yeah. know that. I did not know and that. And you're from a family of writers. Yes. And um, you, um, this is your first novel. How did it, how does it feel being a novelist now, Tommy? I can't, can't call you that. I'm sorry. And and it's a weird thing with this book because novel technically would be nonfiction would, okay. or would be fiction, which mm-hmm. there is plenty of mm-hmm. fiction in there. <laughs> and then there's journalistic efforts, which are nonfiction. And then there's poetry in it. Yes. So it's, it's, it's all over the map. It and is. I told somebody, this has always been my trouble in life. I can't pick a genre. But I will say that writing this book, the fear of every author the first time is, can I even do it? Right. Am I up to it? Am I good enough? Is And when you write it, you finish it and you go, okay, the first guy who tells me that tells me this is trash, I'll just move on with my life. <laughs> and then somebody says, well, that's not bad. And then, okay, well, you're one guy. Let's go to the next guy because you're just beating up yourself all the time thinking there's no way unless I've done this before that I know what I'm doing. But that first time for everybody must be hell. And I've gotten this far, so far, so good. No one has said, well, that was a waste Are you of doing time. a book tour? Or what, yeah, what I'm doing, doing all that stuff. You are? I'm doing all where that stuff. Where do we go we'll to just... find out where you're going to be? Because we did put up, um, I don't know if we didn't put up a link, but we'll do a 30-second book review of your book oh, and put it up on our Low J book. But where do people well, go to find Well, the biggest thing I want you guys to know is that on Monday is my big book release okay. at the Dubliner. Okay. So that's the night before Halloween, Monday the 30th. I'll be at the Dubliner on Vandalian University from 6 to 10. And that's a big deal to me because that's kind of, let's have a party and celebrate. Oh, I'm, I think we so. We got to go. Yep. 
We got to go. We got to go. We got What's the thing that everybody asks you? How come you're so good looking? Yeah. They really haven't said that much. I can't but, believe it. Uh, I think the number one thing people are surprised at is this isn't a goofy, silly, nonsense book. Because mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time <laughs> doing that, too, which I also love, frankly. And actually, there's a whole chapter on the comedy of winter, which I think is also, we can't forget that. Winter is funny. It is funny. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. And you've got some cool people to, Don Shelby blurbs your book, Rich Summer, the actor, Dave yes. Simonette, Trampled by Turtles. I like the eclectic. Yeah, they said they said we need to get some literary types, and I said, "How many times in your life do you go? I got to find out from a literary type whether to watch this movie or read it." Right. You ask a friend. Yeah, yeah I don't want to just yeah, do I like that. that. So I just found regular people. Yeah. yeah, that's so good. All right, well, do you want to just stay hanging out with us, and we'll just chat about whatever? I would be. Or thrilled. do you have to be? Somewhere? I have to be nowhere. Okay, All right. good. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. This is Lori and Julia. My talk. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, Lori and Julia here for the uh, MSP Airports, Terminal 1 and Terminal 2. And we love getting to the airport early, A, because our trip starts as soon as we have uh, landed at the airport and get through security. And we want to be able to enjoy ourselves, shop, get something to eat. And the stress-free way that um, MSP Airport and MSP.com has made it for you to park and not worried if you're going to get a parking spot. They've got all these different lots and different different pricing. And you can always save money when you pre-book your... um, Parking online. They've even got the lot where you plug in your cars. They've got the lot when you've got the kids and the family and all the gear. They come to your car and pick you up. 24-7. They've got it all. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's just, there's so many restaurants, so many great shops. It's a beautiful place to be. Get to the airport early. Enjoy yourself before you go. Lori and Julia here. We're with T.D. Mishke. His book, Winter Song, A Hymn to the North, uh, is just really a lovely, wonderful book. It'll make you fall in love with winter and think and it's you're just you're a very clever funny man and we like how your mind thinks we always tell you that always i i think of this book as something that if you already know all this stuff if you're just somebody who's lived here all your life and you've embraced it and loved it then it's like a little northern companion Mm -hmm. that helps a kindred spirit appreciate what they already know if you're moving here, if you're just arriving, <laughs> this is ne- necessary yeah, reading. It is. I honestly think until you read this, you won't quite know what the hell you're getting into. Mm-hmm. There's a whole chapter on people who moved here as adults from tropical chapter. ports. Yes. And their takes on it are fascinating to me. But I think winter is another planet. I always tell people spring, summer, and fall are a variation on the theme. It's just a little cooler or warmer, but it's more or less sidewalks and grass and trees. Mm -hmm. And then winter is like, what galaxy did we just get transported (laughs) to? And I don't think the rest of the country understands Mm -hmm. us and that galaxy. And one of the big things to me in the book is the intimate relation between the people here and the season and how it shapes us and molds us in ways we don't even understand because we haven't been outside of it. Yeah. Did you have to do... Okay, so you you told us that you... It, the book is Winter Song, A Hymn to the North. Tommy Mishke, T.D. Mishke is with us. Did you... Um, did you do any research? Because you yes. said you were trying to find a subject matter and, and you came up winter. There's nothing great written about winter. It's all just how do we survive. Right. And so what kind of research did you do? I started to look into the season and came upon people I had never heard of. There's a guy named Snowflake Bentley. I I don't know how many people know this guy existed. In the 19th century, he was sitting in Vermont, and he had a piece of black velvet, and he held it out as the snow fell, and he went, 
my God, each of these snowflakes is a piece of art. And he figured out a way in the 19th century to put it under a microscope and take a photograph of it. And he taught the world that every one of these things falling down is an intricate, complex piece of art different from every other one. Wow. And he published the book finally in the in the 20s. And the book came out, he held it in his hand, and he died three weeks later. He never knew a moment of profit from any of this, but thousands and thousands and thousands of photographs over many years of snowflakes. That's a guy I researched. I did research on, there's a guy I interviewed in Manitoba, Canada, Professor Popsicle. All, oh, he, does, all he does with his life is get on snow skis or a snowmobile, go on ice that's too thin and fall through to figure out how to get out. And then he writes about it. Oh, my God. And he comes up with the best ideas and how much time you have. You have a minute of hyperventilation when you fall in, then 10 minutes before your muscles won't be able to get you out, then one hour before you die. And he has all these great ideas and thoughts. And I just love Professor Popsicle. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) No, Tommy. Tom. Tom. Tommy. Er, Tommy. That's who you are, Tommy. How's the Mishki Roadshow going? Roadshow is going strong. I'm 11 years in. I never thought I'd do it that long, but... MishkiRoadShow.com. It still is a podcast that I do regularly, and that's what I quit WCCO to do, is that show. And, you know, you guys do a show every day. Mm-hmm. Imagine. I mean, just imagine, because I think you guys would be wonderful in both uh, media. But imagine if your new medium was, I'm going to sit for three weeks and create a show. Laurie and Julia, we're going to create what we think is the coolest show and put it out. The demands daily for me became too much. I needed a break from the daily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so podcasting allowed you to spread that out and work right. on something and more like you would think of a magazine article versus a daily column. Yeah. yeah. The more thought you give, the more planning, the more putting it together, the more the more interesting it became. So but but you Having have done said, how many years at 22. Kid, 22 yes. at Kiss Which you guys have surpassed. I just told a buddy of mine I had lunch with a little while ago, you guys have surpassed my time on the air. I burned out before you have burned out. You have not burned out yet, you guys. Maybe it's because you have each other. Maybe I should Maybe. have been partnered with yeah. somebody. It, it does help yeah. because yeah. it yeah. takes the pressure off yes. the content. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it is yeah. three hours. Right. Yeah. Well, whatever. You're great. But and I will you say, like your show. I do love the podcast, but I will say one thing you guys got going for you and will forever have going for you is there is an energy and a spark and a feeling to live. And no podcast ever made ever will compete with that. Mm-hmm. Radio has that live thing, and that's golden. And I understand hanging on to that. Yeah, because, you know, I was thinking about that, Julia. I think it was maybe 20 years ago or 21 years ago, yesterday, the day before that Wellstone's plane crashed. Yeah. And And we we were new on the air. We'd only been on the air like six months. And Ian Punnett took over our show that day because it had happened and they were wanting it to be more news news focused and from his coast to coast. But I'll never forget that. And then Julia and I were like, well, what do we do now? And we just went down and lit candles down Mm -hmm. at the thing. But we were like, relieved in a way that Ian was able to step in because we were like, what? You know what I got to say to that? Hmm. The hell with that. You guys would have been fine. Fine, I know. Even if you guys would have cried, whatever you would have offered would have been real. They did the same thing to me at they 9-11. Not when 9-11 okay. happened, they said, oh, yeah, we're going to run um, ABC News all sure. night. And mm-hmm. uh, and then as the day went on, I heard they were stopping it just before my nighttime show, and they were going to throw in someone else. And I called up, and I said, 
Hey, I heard you're not actually running ABC all night. You're bringing in a local guy. Well, yeah, we thought it would be better than your kind of goofy stuff. I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be goofy I'm after 2,000 people have been murdered. Let me do my show. And, and I went they? on the air and I did the show that you were supposed to do after that. And you guys would have done that show, too. Yeah, probably. You guys are fine no matter what because you're real and you're human. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Right. Thank you. All right. Can I you do just recall. Do the rest of our I do show? recall that uh, <laughs> Julia was like, "Why are they making us sit down?" And I was like, "I, I don't know." I did. Know. I was kind of, but I I got it, and I kind of like Lori said was relieved because it was such a big thing. It was. Yeah. And we've had so many big things happen right. since we've been on the air in the last twenty years. We just had a big thing happen last night. I mean, there is a lot going on, but we get these special moments yeah. with special people, and we want people to buy your book, Winter Song: A Hymn to the North. It's lovely. Wonderful. And Thank you're you. lyrical, and it's an ode to winter, which has been my season. I'm I, so happy to hear I that. I love yeah. winter. I love it. I love winter.